So here we are, episode three of the Institute of Financial Wellness. We are here for our podcast number three, and we are very excited to help all of our audience members get there. And when I say get there, it's different for every single person. Everyone has different goals and objectives. And we are very, very fortunate today to have some, uh, an amazing, amazing guest. His name is David Adafeso. And he's going to be speaking to us about investments. We're going to talk about stocks, bonds, mutual funds. I always like to give a little background on, on the speaker and, and our guest because I want to make sure that everybody realizes that the people that we bring to speak on, on our behalf are very, very credible. I was fortunate to meet David Adafeso over 20 years ago. He came to this country from Nigeria at the age of 20 or 21 with $250 in his pocket. Now, 25 years later or more, not only does he have his MBA from, yes, Harvard University, he's got his master's in business administration, he worked on multi-billion dollar mergers and acquisitions on Wall Street, and then when I met him, I was able to convince him to take his skills and apply them to help individuals and small businesses realize their financial dreams. He now manages hundreds of millions of dollars of clients' money there. And Dave, welcome. How are you doing, my great friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's going to be a great conversation. Dave, let's get started and let's help our audience members realize uh, their dreams, their financial dreams, and how they can get there. That's one of the themes of the Institute of Financial Wellness. How can we help our audience members get there by using different financial products and services? And I think it's really important. We want our audience members to understand. And you're so great at explaining complex things in easy to understand format. So the first one I'm going to ask you to talk about is just your basic stocks, publicly traded private institutions, whatever you want to talk about when it comes to stocks, how do these financial instruments help our, our audience members get there? Stocks are one way of, of thinking about how to grow your wealth, right? But there's many, many, many different ways. But, but you know, I have a fondness for stocks because stocks are, first of all, how I got started, and they are the best way to bet on America's future. And, and here's what I mean. Well, let's talk about stocks in general. I mean, what, what's this thing called stocks, right? You know, maybe, you know, you, you, know, you, you, know, you watch TV, there's stocks, you see CNBC, things going up and down. Stocks are an ownership interest in a company. So you own a piece of a company, let's just call it, say, Apple. Uh, say Apple trades at, I don't know, what, 150, you know, now. You own, if you put $150 and you buy Apple stock, you own an ownership interest in Apple. You own a piece of Apple. And so you buy it for $150, maybe one day it's 155 maybe it's 160 maybe it's 180 you make more money. But the flip side is the same, you know, occurs when, you know, the stock goes down in value. So stocks go up and down, which means you're taking a certain degree of risk. You're actually buying a piece of the future profit of the company. So stocks are an amazing way to not just bet on the, you know, the, the, the growth of companies, you know, if you like American companies, growth of American companies, they're also a way for you to uh, basically build what I call passive income. Most people work through their lives. You know, they go to work at nine, they leave at five, and they do this until they're 65 years old, and they hope they can save enough money to, you know, maybe retire one day. And what they're hoping is they have enough money that works for them, not them working for their money. That 
concept of your money working for you is what we call passive income. And passive income is also what I call sleep money. You can actually be sleeping and make money. And here's what I mean. You work from nine to five. You work eight hours a day. How about the other 16 hours? You need to be making money. The others, the smartest people in the world make money the other 16 hours. And stocks are the, the best, the easiest, and I'll call it the simplest way of accumulating wealth that we know of in America. Excellent. That's a really great answer and, and I think uh, really helps. And, and the thing about getting there is historically stocks usually get us a better rate of return than a lot of other things like CDs, savings accounts. And the next topic of what I'm going to ask you about is bonds. Now people think of bonds and, and, and I'm not sure people really understand what they're doing when they buy bonds. So could you tell us a little bit about bonds? What exactly is a bond? How do they work? And again, how do they help our audience members get there? Bonds are a different type of security that can earn you sleep money, passive income. But you buy bonds for a different reason than you buy stocks, right? As we just described, a stock is an ownership interest. You own a piece of apple. A bond is different. A bond is a loan that you give to either a company called corporate bonds, a, 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 a government called municipal bonds, um, a, 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 a federal state government, municipal bond, a federal government called, called treasury bonds, or even a personal person like you or me, hmm. personal note and so bond is a loan and here's what happens you give a again let's use apple as an example right you give apple you already bought a stock of apple so now you own a piece of apple so now you give apple let's just call it ten thousand dollars apple promise you it promises you know what this is a loan you're giving us we're going to give you a note to evidence that 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 loan and that note is going to offer you let's just call it two percent interest or three percent interest right i'm gonna give you three percent every year let's just say the note is for 10 years for the next 10 years and then i'm going to give you back your ten thousand dollars so it's a, it's a loan you're giving to a company or, or, or a government or a person now a bond is an amazing thing because it helps to protect your investment to a certain extent and here's what I mean. Whether Apple likes it or not, they have to give you your 3%. If they don't, they're in default. And so you always, for people who buy bonds, a lot of what they look at is the interest that they're collecting every year, that 3%, because that supplements their income, especially for people who are retired. Now, bonds are amazing because in many, many ways, they act in the opposite direction to stocks because they're a little bit more conservative. Again, they're loans. You know, it doesn't depend on Apple's profit. You know, it basically depends on their, you know, their ability to pay. It depends on how much debt they have. You know, it depends on whether or not they're able to support themselves. So with a stock, you are taking a significant risk. Bonds in general are very sensitive to interest rates, right? So as interest rates go up, bond prices tend to go down. When interest rates go down, bond prices tend to go up. Well, guess what? Right now, where do we have, where do we have interest rates? They're very, very, very low because the Federal Reserve kept interest rates very low because of the recession that we had that was brought on by COVID-19. So interest rates are very low, so bond prices in general are where they are. Over a period of time, as interest rates start to rise, the bond prices will start in general to decline, which can eat into your interest, which can eat into your, you know, your investment. So if you're buying bonds, you know, it's uh, bonds are generally supposed to be more 
you know, they're supposed to be a little bit uh, more conservative. It depends on when you're buying it. If you're buying it when the interest rates are going down, you you know, you, you can make money. If you're buying it when interest rates are going up, you could make that 3% that Apple pays you, but you could lose 5 or 6% because the price of the bond goes down. So you do have to be cognizant that you have to do your research. Before you buy a stock or buy a bond, you do have to do your research. Uh, going forward. Excellent, excellent. Now, one of there's there's a, in the way I see it, there's a couple of different ways to get stocks and to get bonds. And one of such ways is something that many of our audience members have heard of, but they might not really understand exactly what a mutual fund, an ETF, professionally managed money. Talk about and let's take one one at a time. Let's talk about a mutual fund and how that might help somebody get there by buying one of these such products? Absolutely. Mutual fund uh, is basically a basket. It's a collection of uh, similar types of stocks or bonds or any other type of security. Uh, someone or a group of people put those uh, stocks together in a basket and, and they sell it to you as, as, uh, as one offering. Now, um, uh, mutual funds have different purposes. One of the biggest purposes is diversification. Let me give you an example. We used Apple, you know, a few minutes ago. Let's say you buy a stock of Apple. There's a chance Apple goes up or goes down, right? Well, and you don't really know what's going to happen because you can't predict the future. You can estimate it, but you can't predict it. What if you buy, instead of that one choice, Apple goes up, well, maybe it's a 20%, 30%, 40% chance it goes up or goes down, whatever it is. But then imagine you buy Apple and then you buy Google. What are the chances Apple and Google go up at the same time and go down the same reasonably? You know, because they're both technology. What if you buy Apple and Google and you buy a stock like, say, GM, a car company, or Procter & Gamble, consumer products? What you're doing is, what are the chances they both go up together and go down together? Hmm. It's possible, but they probably won't move at the same pace. They probably won't go up 10% together, go down 10% together. As a matter of fact, the factors that affect them are different. So the chances are Apple will go up sometimes and Procter & Gamble will go down and vice versa. And that's what you call diversification. Yeah. And what a mutual fund does, it gives you that diversification where you are able to buy different stocks. Some of those stocks are technology, all different types of technology stocks. Some of those are well diversified, like the S&P 500 that has 500 very, very diversified stocks. But in general, what a mutual fund does is it gives you a basket of stocks to help you diversify in a way that makes it simple and easy for you to uh, minimize your risk the risk that you would otherwise have if you bought one single stock or two stocks. Now, mutual funds are great tools if you are uh, an investor and you want to buy, you know, instead of buying 50 stocks, you would just want to buy one fund. It's easier for you to do that. Now, but it's also different types of funds out there that are similar to mutual funds, which are some are good, some are, you know, just as good and some are even better. Some are called exchange traded funds. And if we have some time, maybe we'll talk about that too. But, yeah, but essentially that's what mutual funds are. Yeah, talk about the ETFs, because a lot of people here exchange traded funds and they don't really know what that is. So that would be my next question. Uh, well, ETFs are, uh, I'll talk about 
ETFs and I was talking about index funds, right? And they all have their different uses and their different purposes. So we just described a mutual fund. It's a basket of stocks that are inside of one big umbrella that's offered to investors to buy uh, for a certain price. Now, one thing I didn't uh, I didn't um, talk about is the fact that most mutual funds are what you call actively managed. So there's a, a fund manager who sits in a nice ivory tower somewhere in Manhattan or downtown LA, you know, with a bunch of very smart people around him and a big, you know, Bloomberg screen and a coach run and maybe, you know, a bunch of different, you know, uh, 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 plane tickets to go to China to interview, you know, companies that he's doing research on. And those people spend a lot of time trying to pick stocks. And because they're spending a lot of time and there's a lot of personal, a lot of energy involved, is also a larger expense. So in general, mutual funds tend to be a little bit more expensive than the alternative. What's the alternative? Well, there's this thing called index funds, right? Index funds are the exact same thing as a mutual fund, a basket of stocks put together, uh, well, a collection of stocks put together in one basket, the only difference is most of those, the index funds are not managed, they're unmanaged, which means there's no manager. With the index fund, you want to be average. So you, let's say you pick a basket of technology stocks, right? And you put them into this index fund. That index fund is, you know, is, is basically, um, say, S&P 500 index, 500 stocks in one place that is unmanaged. So because there's no manager in an ivory tower that's traveling around the world holding meetings and trying to do research to pick the best type of stocks, you don't have the expense, the operating expense that a mutual fund has. So in general, index funds are very similar to mutual fund, but they're usually cheaper. And so most people will gravitate towards index funds because of the cost. Now, there's also another kind, if I haven't confused you enough about funds, there's also another type of fund called exchange-traded funds. The exchange-traded funds are very, very similar to index funds, right? They're a collection of a basket of stocks all put together in one umbrella that you're sold and that you can buy. They're passively managed, which means no one actually is picking those stocks. They just, you know, their basket in there. But the one difference that separates them from mutual funds is that you can buy those uh, exchange traded funds. That's that basket of stocks during the day. So you wake up at, you know, 10.30 a.m., you can actually go in and you can buy a basket of S&P 500 or technology stocks. Why? Well, you can't do the same with a mutual fund. Mutual funds are traded once a day. And so exchange-traded funds have become very popular, not just because they're cheaper, again, because they're passively managed, but also because you can trade them actively and sometimes you can bet on them. So there's a lot of different options tied to exchange-traded funds. So in a nutshell, uh, Dave, the mutual funds and the ETFs are, are convenient ways for many, many, many of us in, in America and across the world to invest in these stocks and these bonds that automatically diversify you. And in some ways, you can do it inexpensively inside of an index or an ETF, but other ways you're gonna pay somebody and their job is to do better or have less volatility than that particular um, group of stocks would if they were left alone. Is that fair? Exactly. And do you know how many of those money managers in the mutual funds who, that the managed beat the ETFs and the index funds? 10%. Only about, 
Uh, well, it's close. Over a long period of time, I think 60, 70, it's only about 10%. Right. But, but in any one given year, it's about 15 to 20%. So, okay. so most of those money managers, they underperform, not because they're not smart, but because the cost is so high mm -hmm. and that eats into the returns that makes it less profitable. Now, I'll tell you one more thing uh, that you said, which is actually very interesting. You said, well, mutual funds and ETFs and index funds are a convenient way to invest. Correct. Absolutely. Most people should not be buying individual stocks. If you're a sophisticated investor and you're smart, you know what you're doing, you're willing to do the one or two or three hours a week that's required for each stock you own, please buy stocks. But if you're like the most of us, you know, who are not, you know, most people who are not in the business, who go to work every day, they come back, they tie them up to the family, and I got the friends, the kids, would have a good life. They don't want to worry about reading annual reports, talking about competitors and all those things. You want to buy, a, you want the diversification but you don't want to spend the time buying 35 or 50 or 100 individual stocks in a mutual fund. Even if, if that's what you have access to through your 401k, because most 401ks don't have ETFs, or an index fund or an ETF is the way for you to go. Now, the, one of the things that I learned, and, I, and me, you and I have spoken about this before, is this whole concept of an average rate of return versus an actual rate of return. And that is somewhat technical, but I think it's really important for our viewers and our audience members to understand that difference. Because in an average rate of return, you actually have potentially um, a little bit of misleading information. Let me give you an example. Let's say I have an investment and it goes up 50% in year one and it goes down 50% in year two. I always say to people, we have an average of zero. So we all think that if I invested $100,000 in an investment that behaved that way, that if I earned zero, my 100,000 would become or stay at 100,000. But the reality is, it's actually $75,000. It's negative. The actual rate of return is negative 25%. So why do prospectuses, why do reports all show average rates of return and not actual rates of return? And, and I, I don't know if it's intentional, but I find it to be a little bit misleading. And that's why I believe that having a professional that really understands and, be, and is able to diversify one's portfolio and have less volatility could be very, very advantageous. Could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I think, uh, Eric, what you've hit on is a sore spot within the industry, right? Um, uh, the overwhelming majority of prospectuses and uh, public uh, um, uh, publications and, and online, you know, blogs and so on and so forth that talk about returns actually talk about average returns. You just described what by average returns at very best is incorrect. <laughs> What's actually correct are the actual returns. And the reason as you just described is because with actual returns, you lose more money overall when you lose than you make money when you make. I know that's a little bit confusing, but you just described it. When you lose money, it's more painful to you than when you make money. In addition, 
extreme levels of volatility. I've heard a lot of you know investors from time to time, they say, you know what, it's going to go down 25%. Who cares? It's going to come back 25%. Well, but the problem is you lose more. <laughs> it's going to go up first, right? It goes up by, the market goes up about 70% of the time. Right. So in general, you, you have markets, but when you have those large volatile, you know, spikes, you know, over like we've had over the last, you know, year or two, 30, 30%. If you it goes down thirty percent after it goes up, you're going to lose more, mm-hmm. and so it is always best as a as a as a good practice to minimize that volatility, right? You don't want your accounts going up thirty percent down thirty percent, and that's what you get when you speculate. Sometimes it is better for your account to go up ten percent down ten percent because that way you lose more, and and that's less. where you lose less. Uh, you lose less. You lose less, yeah. exactly. You lose less when it goes up 10% down 10% versus the, the vice versa, 30 or 40%. Right. But, and that's where diversification comes in because that was, that's what helps you minimize those losses, you know, the downside. And that's where a professional advisor comes in and because an advisor can guide you on diversification and the best ways to minimize those, those huge spikes. Yeah, and and as you said before, you know, if I have an investment that hundred thousand dollars from before, if it goes down ten percent and up ten percent, I only lose a thousand dollars. I'd have ninety nine. But the other example I gave of going up and down fifty percent, I'd have seventy five thousand. So there's the same average rate of return, but one of them has a real rate of return of negative twenty five percent. The other one has a negative one percent. And we all would rather only lose a thousand dollars in that example than twenty five thousand dollars. Which is, as you just said, and this is where I want to pivot into is is the the advisor the advisor's role and and you and I have spoken about this there's something called an advisor's alpha which basically means are you better off do you do better by having an advisor and you manage hundreds of millions of dollars on on clients behalf wealthy people um, average Americans middle America you have all different kinds of people that you help talk to us about what happened in that pandemic and use the example that I just gave of the up 50, down 50, and talk about the value that you brought to your your group of, of people that you serve. We all need some sort of professional guidance, right? And what the what the professional guidance does for you, uh, you know, many people ask me, they say, well, can you help me? They come into my office, can you help me make, make more money, David? Can you help me make 12%? My ex-advisor makes 7%, can you make, I say, no. I can't, I can't guarantee any returns. What I can help you do is minimize those extreme losses that occur when you panic. And then here's how that played out last year. We were all, and this played out the same way in 2008. We were all watching, it was like a movie in 2008. You remember, I'm a Wall Street guy. I came from, you know, Solomon, the investment banking world. And you had Countrywide fail, and you had Lehman Brothers fail, and you had all these, the Bank of America's about to fail, and, and, and people are, are, are scared and are, are jumping out of the market with the market down 30 or 40%. The same thing happened last year. You know, we did have clients call in and say, look, the market is down 28%. It's, 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 it's March, it's April. We got to sell. We got to get out. Uh, we got to get out of the market. And, and, and what the advice, what an advisor does in that situation, and I think the overwhelming you know, value an advisor brings is experience. You know, I've been through four, almost five recessions. I've seen these, you know, and I've never seen a situation where the market went down 
and didn't come back up, not just to that level it was before, but surpassed that level. And sometimes that's what a client needs. It's like when you go to your doctor and your doctor tells you, you have this condition and you think the whole world is coming to an end. And he tells you, you know what, I've seen this over and over again and you'll be okay. That's the value an advisor brings. You know, you sit down with that advisor, you get on the phone, get a webinar and he tells you, you know what, the market is down 25%. It's a normal part of the, the cycles, uh, the eight, 10 year cycle we have in this country and helping them understand that because the market is down doesn't mean the world comes to an end. It'll come back and with good financial management, with good diversification, with appropriate rebalancing, and with focusing on your goals, you're able to achieve you know, what you need you know, from your relationship with an advisor. So the, that thing called an advisor offer, it is real. You know, it's real in that, you know, for people who work with an advisor, who should be working with an advisor, I mean, there's some people who should, I mean, at the end of the day, but for the overwhelming majority of people, who need financial help, those people can benefit significantly from the, the advice and the experience an advisor brings. And, and you know, I'll give our, our, our audience members a little bit of numbers. I always say I'm a numbers guy, I bottom line things, right? So let's make believe, and there are some studies out there that say, and I'm not gonna guarantee this by any means, that, that say you might do three percentage points better with an advisor, okay? Let's imagine that's true for a second. By having an advisor, and that's after the fee, if you earn 9% versus 12%, say, or 9% versus 6%, or three percentage points, what does that mean money-wise, right? Well, there's this thing called the rule of 72, which is a very helpful thing for, for people to be aware of. And let's use 6%. What the rule of 72 says is that if I earn 6%, I divide that into 72, which is 12. And that 12 represents the number of years that it will take for my money to double. So let's make believe without an advisor, you did 6% and you had $100,000. Well, your money over 36 years is gonna double, right? 6% is gonna double every 12 years, so it'll double three times. So your 100 will become 200, 400, $800,000. That's at 6%, okay? 100 becomes 800. Now let's make believe I earn 9% because again, assuming I have an advisor, which I'm not saying is guaranteed, but again, the studies and the research indicate that people that have somebody helping them do better. Nine goes into 72, eight years. So your money will double every eight years. So your money in 32 years will, will double, 36 years I should say, will double almost four and a half times. So your money now, 100 becomes 200, 400, 800, 1.6, almost, let's just call it 1.6 to be <laughs> generous. The reality is it's a little bit more. So just three percentage points, again, assuming that's because you had an advisor, assuming that's because you knew what you were doing, you were in it for the long haul, you did three percentage points better over many, many years, you actually have a million six potentially versus $800,000. That could be the difference between financial education and not being financially educated, but between having a financial professional helping you and not having a financial professional. The Institute of Financial Wellness, we're not here to tell you what product is right, what's wrong. Matter of fact, we say never say never, never say always, it depends. That's the way we judge things when it comes to financial decisions. But you gotta make smart decisions. Dave, just like you, I've been in business a long time. I've seen people that I've started uh, working with that over you know, 20, 25 years, they might only make 
75, $80,000 a year, but over a long period of time, they accumulate a lot of money. And just like you, Dave, I've seen people that make a quarter of a million, a half a million dollars a year, and 20 years later, what do they have? They have nothing to show for it. <laughs> so that's why the Institute of Financial Wellness is on a mission to provide financial education that helps people truly live their best life. And that's what it's all about. Could you give us um, a little bit of insight on, on what your thoughts are about financial education and what it's done for you, Dave? You know, one of the, I'd call it the biggest issues we have in America is that we are graduating tens of millions of people every year from from high school and from college and mm -hmm. from different types of upper edu higher education programs without any level of financial literacy just like you i have people walk into my office and they barely know what a stock is they don't know what an insurance policy is they don't know what budgeting looks like they have no idea about this thing called this damaging thing called inflation. And so they walk in and they've lived all of their life without any knowledge, any real knowledge of financial uh, literacy. And I'll tell you, it's the one thing that I think holds people back in life, that lack of knowledge of financial literacy. And, and the reason why, you know, part of the job of companies like ours and companies like yours is before we start, you know, before we start doing stuff for people is education. It's just really teaching people. It's just really opening up the books and showing people, you know, what, you know, you know here's, here's what, here's what, you, here's what, you, here's where you are, here's where you want to go and, and showing people how to get there. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, a big part of what I know IFW does uh, is, um, is um, teaching people first what they need to know and then helping them uh, do those things. Uh, you know, we do the same thing over here. So, if only a little bit of financial knowledge of financial literacy was 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 added to the mix, you know, in, in their formal education, it'll make a real difference in the lives of people. And I think that's the one thing that can help us, you know, uh, solve this retirement crisis that we have. One thing that can help us solve the education crisis that we have, or the education funding crisis that we have, is this financial literacy and financial education, which is so lacking in our communities today. So, so great job for you guys, uh, you know, you guys, uh, you know, showing, you know, teaching people the things they need to know. Mm -hmm. The first thing you want to do is educate the client. Once a client understands, they're able to help make it, to make a decision with you, alongside you. And, and, and things end up being, you know, going very well after that. Yeah. So um, good job with what you guys are doing. Well, thank you so much, Dave. Uh, today has been a, an absolute remarkable conversation. Uh, we're definitely going to bring you back more to talk about what you're doing to solve the problems in America for college education. So uh, I thank you. You have a great day. It's been a great conversation, and we're looking forward to, to working together with you and others to make a difference in, in our country. Eric, thank you for having me. This has really been a pleasure. I look forward to more of this. All right. Be well, David. <laughs>